the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics with the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. And Ben, it's weird. We're doing it a bit differently this week, right? We're both in the same jolly darn room. It's weird, isn't it? Kind of seeing you. I'd, I'd be really interested to, if people think it sounds different when we're actually not over Zoom and we're actually in person. It's like doing a live gig. It is. It's, it's very curious, this coming out of lockdown thing and actually seeing people, um, you know, as, as real people. I've forgotten that most people have legs, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we've been, to, we've been to the pub together this week and we're recording the podcast with each other, which is great. That's right. We're not yet back in our haunted pub, but one day. One day we'll be back for there. We'll be back with the spirits. Um, now, you gave us a little teaser of this last week so i have been getting a bit um overexcited about this next episode so no pressure ben no pressure (laughs) (laughs) okay it's it's very saturny oh excellent so saturn is one of those weird planets i think it holds a bit of an allure for most people because it's the one where just with a telescope you know that you can buy from argos and set up in your back garden you can see that it's got rings. And those rings, I think, are particularly alluring. It's, it, you know, if you see a planet with rings on drawn, you know it's Saturn. And it's kind of an iconic image, isn't it? It's one of those things. Even Lego, when they started doing their space play sets, their lo- little logo had had Saturn with the rings around it. It's funny you say that because it is so alluring. And it, I remember... Uh, actually, it was the it was the day or evening that I proposed to my wife. We were in Hawaii, and we went up. There's they've got these amazing places way way up mountains, high in the clouds, with observatories and various bits. So we're there, really high up uh, on the island of Maui, and looking over the clouds below us. And then when it got dark, there was a guy who did a, a stargazing tour. And he showed us all the stuff, you know, we had a close-up look at the moon and uh, different planets, but it was Saturn that just struck me and has stuck with me ever since because there is just something, I mean, it wasn't like we were mega, mega close-up view. It was kind of, I don't know, if you had your hand right out front of you, like holding a golf ball or something, it was that kind of size. But still, just to see the rings around it and think, you know, you know, barring the light that's travelled here, I'm pretty much looking at this thing live. It, it really stuck with me and blow me away. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like Mars is associated with sort of, um, you know, well, it is associated with war and things. Saturn does appear to be more associated with things of the paranormal. Yeah. And the reason for this episode, something caught my eye. <clears throat> a lot of the, um, the, the UK tabloids like to talk about um, peculiar paranormal things and I was reading this article where uh, it talks about there's a UFO hunter called Scott C. Waring um, who runs a website called UFO Sightings Daily and he was speculating that one of the moons of Saturn and there are 82 moons really? yeah there's 82 moons he says that it looks just like a classic flying disc and he was speculating in the newspaper that perhaps this is an alien space station. Okay. And this is kind of this was published around the same time 
as uh, Omuramura was passing through and there right. was kind of a lot of excitement um, about this sort of thing. And I guess it was sort of um, on brand for the zeitgeist of that time. Um, but interestingly, what I also took away from this article and do some research it is true. Um, a lot of the moons are shaped um, like ravioli dumplings. So right. they're not exact spheres. But then I started as... As they do with lots of these things, you pull on a thread and suddenly the legs come off. If you, that's, a, that's a good analogy. The rings come off. And I discovered this book called The Ringmakers of Saturn. Now, it's one of those which is, um, you can find it on Amazon, but it's either out of stock or it's about $600, depending about on whereabouts you live wow. in the world. But... I managed to find somebody has kindly uploaded a PDF to the internet. And so I have been busily reading this book. And as I always do, I always choose something <laughs> which is so hard to digest. I've had to read the thing twice, but the story is quite extraordinary. And Your, your research topics are either the book's about the size of war and peace or it's about as complex as you know the theory of time right this yeah this is this is kind of both is 125 pages long but you might think well what i'm about to say sounds ridiculous but the author i think this is why it's kind of interesting the author is a chap called norman bergren and he is a scientist and bear with me here, he pioneered the methodology of thermal ice prevention design and is credited with role stability laws for airplanes and missiles. So I'm obviously taking that off um, his biog there. But the ins and outs of it are, A, he was a NASA scientist, and B, if you're familiar with the Polaris missile system, he was the manager uh, for the test planning and the analysis of how those missiles were launched underwater so those if you see a a western submarine launching a nuke from underwater he's the guy he's the man. that came up with how that works wow. so you see that um if you it's quite interesting actually if you go on on the internet and um look up one of those test launches you'll see that it comes out of the water spinning that was him so he is concerned with the way things move in in space not just outer space but inner space you know what i mean yeah yeah um and the, this book as its source material he only uses slides taken from images picked up by voyager one and voyager two so he isn't doing his own strange you know he's not saying that he has a technique for looking at the rings of saturn that's different right. from anybody else he's, he's not with a telescope in his back garden he's using source material from nasa and the voyager probe. that's right basically. that's right okay. and all of the images which he does include in the book he ordered transferred to slides so he could examine them and then licensed them so he's done everything properly right as you would want but he starts off because um, I wasn't sure where this book was going to go, but it has this alluring title. It starts off where he talks about um, the first time we started understanding that Saturn had rings. And so this goes back to the 17th century and um, even Galileo himself. And back then, even Galileo thought that these were solid 
objects. Yeah. And he thought that there was one on either side of the planet, um, Galileo did. Um, other observers thought there was a solid elliptical ring plane. Um, but of course, it does depend on, you know, where, whereabouts the Earth axis is and whereabouts Saturn's axis is and how right. you look at it. Right. So you do get this it. discrepancy between how people are reporting it. Yeah, yeah. I seem to remember at school we were taught that it was rock formations that were spinning around. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what we were taught as well, like um, the possibility that it was a destroyed moon or something exactly, yeah, like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but still other observers of that time, they talk about... Um, unusual openings in the ring so what he means is um although a lot of the time it looks like a continuous um if you think about like um those those things that you fly aerobies you know those like flying uh rings he says so some people see it like that as a solid a solid thing and then some observers they say well there were almost bites taken out of them diamond shaped bites or circular uh, shape bites it reminds me a bit when i think about it i don't know if it's accurate or not but it reminds me a bit we talked about them the other week it reminds me a bit of a vinyl record where the different tracks are different durations and the gaps yes. between them it's it, it's not um yeah it's varied in terms of the distances between the rings and the spacing i think yeah well i'll I'll come on to talk about the different rings but this is so in those early days people obviously the telescopes weren't that good and so they're just observing what they think are these solid rings and and this is this is sort of commonly accepted that these early observations of the rings they vary because of the differences in telescope Right. quality and yeah. lenses and times of the year but it is unusual that some people would say well there were no rings but it is explainable it is explainable by the planets being on different right. um uh, you know different axes what is interesting though is as we get into the 18th century more and more observers are taking note of the rings and they're trying to do calculations around them um And in the 1800s, the variance between observers starts showing some marked sort of interesting points. So at one end, one observer is saying that he estimates them to be about 280 miles thick. So if you imagine on the plane, the depth of that ring as you look at it is 280 miles. Another observer is observing them to be 10 miles thick. So there's this huge marked difference. And again, what the author makes the point of is that this is like, again, people put it down to, um, you know, the difference in people's calculation and maths, quality of the telescopes that they're using to observe this. But that doesn't really ring true because observations had got quite good. It might sound like the 18th century is a long time ago and we were like not very good at these things. But by this time, we knew that the Earth circled the Sun. We knew most of the planets in the solar system, and we were yeah. able to determine their sizes relatively accurately. Yeah. But up until even the beginning of the 19th century, astronomers were arguing about whether, whether Saturn had a ring at all. Um, and they were doing things like... Uh, so one astronomer had the idea that they would use 
uh, Saturn's most visible moon, Titan, and see if they could observe a shadow of Titan over the rings. Okay. Makes but sense. no perceptible shadow ever occurred, which is a peculiar thing in itself. Another bizarre thing that was observed about the rings, and this gives you a bit of a clue about where this book is going. Near the end of the 18th century, there was an observer called W.R. Dawes, and he started noticing luminous points on the edge of the ring plane. And these luminous points were observed to move around. And they didn't persist for very long either, sort of less than 16 hours long. Uh, So it sort of negates the possibility of these being natural satellites. So what he's talking... Because I guess the other thing that came to my mind when you were talking about that was, you know, if the rings the ice and the rings reflecting the sun could it be that that's right yeah so if that was the case you would expect because of the size of the planet for these things to be observable for longer but you'd also expect them to be repeated if there was something that was always in that position yeah um but you make a good point because there was um another observer called william herschel and in 1789 he put forward this idea that there must be an unstable source responsible for these luminous points. And he didn't know what it was, but he thought, well, it it must be, as you said, perhaps something spinning. Um, There were other people that said, well, maybe because we didn't fully understand how things might work, maybe it is like a volcanic activity or something like that. Um, is that what he means by an unstable? Form? Well, when he says unstable, what he means is it's not something. So I was saying there that a lot of people would expect if it was um, something that was reflecting the sun, I get you. it be would be to it, it, it would be the there orbit. all the time. And he's saying, yeah. no, it must be something which is either spinning or erupting, right. something like that. So it's more random than you would expect is the That's maybe right. a simplified way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But then this mystery carried on, and um, in February 1917, there were two astronomers independently in the UK, John Knight and Morris Ansley, and they observed a bright source independently of each other. They weren't um, working together at all. They just observed it at the same time. And they referred to the object to be brighter than a star. Wow. So this is... This is obviously something that is like completely not not understood at all at this time. And again, it was just explained by, well, perhaps a gas discharge. Uh, so I've read um, so when I was researching this, some people say, well, a bit like a comet, could it be melted ice that is um, expelling gas? And then that is being caught by the sun and reflected back. But the, these lights are so incredibly intense that that does seem unlikely. Right. Um, if we then sort of fast forward towards when Voyager 1 um, is launched, we've got this mystery of the ring thickness that's been going on for about 200 years at this point. Um, Voyager 1 didn't actually get to measure the thickness of the rings and that was not by 
um, not by accident. It just it hadn't been set up to do such a thing, right. and it was realised that this was probably something that needed to be done. So Voyager two, when it went out um, and touched the planet in, uh, or rather flew past 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 the planet in nineteen eighty one, the instrumentation on board put the ring thickness to be around six hundred miles. So that is about twice those reported at the turn of the 18th century and and when you say thickness just so i'm clear if we if we imagine the rings let's go with the analogy of a vinyl record is thickness from one end where the stylus goes to where the stylus ends or is thickness the actual you know the bit where you flip the record over in your analogy it would be the how deep the vinyl is right all right, so heavy vinyl, basically. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. I did, when you were saying about the Voyager thing, I, I just had this vision of the mission controller on Voyager 1 going, oh, we've done Saturn. Right, how thick are the rings? And some scientists going, oh, shit, shit. The rings? <laughs> oh, thickness, you mean. Ah, right. Uh, oh, it's Jeff. quite thick. <laughs> yeah, did anyone know? Voyager 2, Voyager 2. <laughs> <laughs> So with Voyager 2, we get, we get this information that there are, there are about 1,000 um, miles thick. Sorry, 600 miles thick, um, about 1,000 kilometres. And we get this definite distinction between the rings. And there are seven rings. And within those rings, you get um, belts. So you're probably all familiar with the Cassini division. So that's that is known as the widest division between the rings. So that is like a piece of um, blank space, if you like, There's in, in between um, the rings. Um, and just, I think it's kind of interesting to um, just get a sense of the size of this place because it, I haven't really realised how big Saturn is. So he's got a little diagram in the book so we can see how um, wide these rings go. So Saturn itself, the actual planet, is 10 Earths in diameter. Wow. And then from the surface of the planet to the outermost edge of the outermost ring is 6 Earths. So we're talking really large-scale um sort of sizes here when you say surface you mean gas surface right the gas surface yeah yeah, okay. yeah. um that's why they call it a gas giant then <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it yeah. is it's gas and it's giant yeah. um and then the the other mystery which he sets up in the book is the ring sep- the ring separation variation so as people have been measuring this cassini gap the um, the distance of that gap varies by as much as 33%, depending on whereabouts it's measured from and who is measuring it. So uh, basically what he's saying is you would expect, uh, one would expect, a physicist would expect that that ring would be of a consistent width all the way around. Or slowly changing rather than... Or slowly rapidly, changing. Yeah. But he's saying basically, roughly, if you think of the planet across section, if you think of that um, Cassini gap at 12 o'clock on the point of the, uh, on the point of a clock, it is X width. And then at six o'clock, 
it is 33% more or less. That's what he's saying, which is, which is massively unusual. And so far in the book, I've been reading all of this and there's a lot of maths involved and um, there are a lot of plates and I'm thinking, well, you know, where are we going? And then suddenly he just jumps into it. It doesn't mess about. These rings are being created by vehicles. And basically what he's saying is these, there are enormous, absolutely enormous spacecraft within the rings of Saturn. And not only are the spacecraft hiding there, they are creating the rings. Right. Wow. And so what he has done is taken these pictures from those two Voyager craft, blown them up, and he is basically showing where these things are existing and how the mystery of the rings is explained by wow. the fact that there are spacecraft creating them. Not so, only has that just blown my mind, <laughs> weirdly, my first thought was for anyone who'd spent $600 on the book. Could you imagine if at that point he'd said, I've had a look, there's nothing. <laughs> yes, yeah. nothing going on. Sorry, you spent $600. But yeah, that sounded like $600 worth of wowness to me. Well, the very first picture that he's got is of the A-ring. So it's a cross-section of the A-ring, which is, as you would imagine, the furthest outmost ring. And then um, something called the Enki division, which is what divides the A-ring from the B-ring, if, if, uh, if you're keeping up. Yep. And then right the way across the A-ring is this bright sequence of lights it's sort of like four or five lights in a long cigar shape and so this is a one photo that he's got from voyager one or two yeah uh yes one of those i think this one's from voyager two right and it it appears that this line of lights pokes into that enki division meaning that um you know that is a way f of explaining how the division sizes change, but he uses um, he uses the knowledge that we have about the size of the rings to estimate the size of this craft, and this is where you sort of you do have to just keep reminding yourself that this guy isn't just. You know, yeah, some mad... guy who's written a book and look at a photo and gone, oh, I think I can see no. something. He's got a a credible background. He's got and, a credible background. And knows his shit. But he is talking here about a spacecraft which is 2,900 miles long and the jets that he says are, um, he calls them um, pinched plasma jets. So um, it's they're basically electrically charged flows that are coming out of the, uh, the vehicle's um, engines. Each one of those jets is between 29 to 58 miles wide. Wow. This is this is what he's calculating. Wow. And, and uh, we may... I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead. But he, at this point, is he saying that the rings are a byproduct or there's something more, you know, intrinsic going on with the rings? Right. So I did have to go 
back to this a couple of times because it wasn't entirely clear to me, but I think what he is saying is, yes, the rings are a byproduct of the propulsion systems of these craft. Right. But they are, they're either a purposeful byproduct in that it's a great way of hiding yourself. Okay. Or... It's either camouflage. Yes, that's right. Yes. It's either camouflage... Um, Although, ironically, you are drawing attention to yourself at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But at the same, at the same time, because of the way that these vehicles are sitting sitting within those rings it makes them very 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 difficult to spot unless you know what you're looking for and again i suppose as well when you do find it you kind of discount like what there's not going to be a 2900 mile long spacecraft and and he's not talking about one either but by the middle of the book he makes this sort of this stood out to me and i had to cut cut and paste this piece out because, uh, as I say, he presents this piece of evidence as so matter of fact. He doesn't sort of go, and now I'm going to tell you there's aliens. Yeah, drum he roll, just drum goes, roll. This is the, how big the spacecraft is. And you go, what? what? There's a spacecraft? He just sort of says it. He just throws it in. He says, evidence is 100% positive that propulsive vehicles generate the inner and outer Enki A-rings of Saturn presence of these units is made fortuitously clear in plates five through eight so you just have to it's not a audio is not a great medium for telling you about this but um he says plates five through eight ordinarily emissions are so profuse and chameleonic in character that recognition is rendered quite difficult so what he's saying here is that um the emissions from the engines of these craft uh, he uses the word chameleonic. I think what he's talking about there is that um, it makes it very difficult not only to perceive the craft, but also to see what these rings are made of. Like they, they almost have this enigmatic quality of changing thickness and density and that sort of thing. So it makes observation quite difficult. But he points out that, um, and you can see it in the image that I was describing, the front part of the spacecraft pokes out. So I was alluding to this before, but basically you have, if you imagine you've got your spacecraft and he's saying that it's sat at a sort of an angle sideways on to um, the ring. So say it's it's this spacecraft that's 2,900 miles long hiding in ring A, and it's sort of like it's an angle side on. and all of the ring structure is coming from these electromagnetic force engines. It's like um, the bonnet of a car is poking out. Right. And because these spacecraft are so massive, he is saying... They couldn't hide it. They, you can't hide the nose. So if you know what you're looking for, you can see the, the leading edge of, of the spacecraft. Because I was thinking as you were talking, if you know, if this alien species that's technologically advanced and is is sat there by saturn once they know voyagers on its way or at least at some point go oh hold on there's a probe there's a probe you'd think you like we're gonna have to hide we're gonna have to hide you know so 
I, it does make sense that because it's like they hid, but it's so bloody big that the as you said the bonnet sticks out. Yes, and he he does a useful little diagram of um, how the nose pokes out, and then he does another diagram where he's identified at least three of these craft, and he draws a little diagram of the craft. He just calls them vehicle one, two, and three. Vehicle three, which he says sits between, it's sort of um, the front part of it is at ring A and the inner part of it uh, is sort of just poking into ring D. He calculates that to be 50,667 kilometres in length. 31,500 miles. And he's saying that's one craft. That's one craft. Wow. Craft two is a mere 25,500 kilometres long. Yeah, little brother. And the, the smallest one is 12,669 kilometres. Wow. So th- these are, I mean, these are enormous things, right? Yeah. This, this is not little UFOs just um, flying around. And... So just just to put that into uh, context, if you had, um, so he talks about the size of vehicle three, and he makes a big thing about this. He says if by his calculations, if you cut the hull down the middle on that craft, um, so you've got like a circular cross section, the whole of that cross section would cover the United States coast to coast. That's how big he says these things wow. are. Wow. And uh, when he made this discovery, was he still working at NASA at that point, do you know? I'm just, I'm just trying to think about the process of... Yeah, it's funny, though. I, you know what? I was. I, I'll, I better explain my thinking, otherwise nobody's going to understand what I'm thinking. I was thinking, knowing NASA, somebody else must have spotted this and they must have gone through it. But I remember watching a documentary about Voyager. I'm not sure which one. And, you know, there was, uh, there was the volcanic eruptions that they didn't really pick up first time round. And it yeah. took one scientist, I'm not going to do this story justice, but it took one scientist to go, hold on, that looks a bit weird. And I think it was years later who just discovered this kind of volcanic uh, activity on, on one of the moons, either Jupiter or Saturn. Um, and, yeah, so it. my first thought was somebody at NASA, somebody else at NASA must have known about this there must be some corroboration um but maybe not well he doesn't ever say when he realized these things i suspect because of the way he talks about having ordered these images from the voyager craft it feels to me like he wasn't part of it when he at did the time, that. but he's requested them. And did you say he basically bought the rights to them? Is that what yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. He did it all above board. Yeah, he he has the rights to publish. I mean, he doesn't own exclusive rights, but he paid for the rights to be able to put to those put slides in. in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and as far as you know, has anyone from NASA commented on the book, or anybody else commented on it? No, Just not as far as I know. Silence. Because um, I think there's so much here, and it does get it gets even more bizarre. Okay, God, I thought I thought 
All right, I don't think my brain can take it. Hold on, hold on. All right, go. <laughs> so he then goes on to talk about how he believes these electromagnetic vehicles are connected to lunar formations. Um, and he, in his terms, so he, he speaks, he writes in a, um, it's almost like trying to decipher Blackadder. He says um, the, uh, it suggests a strong possibility of a past intimacy with Earth, is the way he puts it. Um, but what he does is he, he makes a model of the moon, like just a, a model on his, um, you know, on his desk. Right. And then he makes a scale model of one of these craft. And he realizes that some of the, what we're unable to explain features about the moon are caused by these craft. So he has a little grid where he talks about um, various parts of... Uh, so there's a part of the moon called the Mare Oriental. And, for example, it, uh, it has a central hole. It just, it just does that part of the, um, the moon. And by his calculations, that was caused by an axial exhaust flame core coming from the vehicle. Um, the southern radials for example in that part of the moon are caused by underbody emissions so he puts down a lot of the scarring on the moon down to these spacecraft right okay i'm just processing that that does feel like quite a leap weirdly out of everything you've told me so far that bit is the bit that's making me think that feels like quite a leap because that's a it's a big conclusion to come to yeah it is it is it's a huge conclusion to come to and then the other bit so i'm waiting for him to like because the obvious thing is what are these things doing there right um so again he makes this bold statement this is as he's wrapping up he says the existence of extraterrestrial space vehicles of enormous size and power is a fact the significance of which is difficult to grasp let alone assess and then he says, in the foreground is an immediate question. Are there extraterrestrial beings? A short answer is probably. But he then goes on to say, all photographic negatives examined by the author have revealed no direct evidence of beings. So. Well, I. Yeah. How, so, how do we get the ships? I how guess. do we so, get the ships? I right. Guess some so artificial he, intelligence that, yeah, well, I guess, but. I, I, in my mind, the two things were going hand in hand. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So he says, like, because he hasn't been able to observe any beings, and I don't know how you would be able to observe any beings, but as he says yeah, he hasn't, he can only guess. But he says um, he thinks the only way that these craft could be built, in his words... They could be achieved by a long-term, goal-orientated, non-self-destructing society. So he is, you know, you have to attribute these things yeah. to a builder. Yeah. That builder probably comes from this sort of race. But he doesn't, he doesn't go into, could it be 
an artificially intelligent race, something like that. Well, I guess, I guess from a scientific point of view, he is correct. He's just got, as far in his mind, it sounds like he's got proof of effectively what is a space machine, but he hasn't got proof of, you know, any biological, let's say, life behind it because they're all he's got is the machine so you can see why he's not jumping too far but they seem to go hand in hand to me but yeah yeah that's right yeah um but he also thinks that they've been there for a very very long time so what could you need with a spacecraft of that enormous size particularly if you're an artificial intelligence you wouldn't think you would need something quite so ginormous to do it um but also like why what are they doing hiding there what possible use are they could they be like with something as with craft as big as that they literally are doing engineering in space they literally by his words they are creating this planetary feature that we all know love attempt to observe and fail at because they are you know it's the sort of the space equivalent of chemtrails in a way um i was thinking something similar it's really weird it's a weird image to come in my mind but um when i walk the dog we walk through this field and part of the field is like a public right away and part of the field is someone's garden and they've got one of those automated mowers that divides off the bit of the field that's public to the bit of the field that's private and every time i go for a walk this mower is just going it looks like and it's to me it goes this thing must just go 24 hours a day and just be creating this this mode pattern via you know they must have programmed it i don't know it just that just came into my mind you know could it be something as simple as that they've put some machinery around saturn for whatever reason and it's just on some automated thing that it just does and maybe it's got a program that says if somebody comes investigating you go into you know stealth mode or something you know yeah could it be that simple rather than they've been maybe they were put there thousands and thousands of years ago and they just they're still going almost like voyager going through space yes yes it's completely possible but but to an end that we have no way of comprehending. I've got no conclusion of why they would do it or why pick Saturn or, you know, yeah, wow. So just to, like, again, add credence to this guy, this is not a self-published book. I don't think I mentioned it. It's published in 1986. It has, uh, it's published by a proper publisher, Pentland Publishing in Edinburgh. Um, It has an ISBN number, the whole the whole nine yards. It was edited by a proper editor, you know, um, and he makes a particular uh, point at the beginning of the book. So although it's copyright, he does say excerpts may be made freely in furtherance of knowledge and understanding. So he wanted this. He wanted the information. He out wanted there. the information out there. Yeah. But I think what separates this book from sort of more hyperbolic books is that like it's so matter of fact it's just here is what i can see this is what you're looking at and here's my interpretation of it here's my interpretation of it and he doesn't like that whole thing of like yeah fifty thousand mile long spacecraft yep that's 
that's fine, isn't it? That's that's what that's what's out there, and you know that's a it's a mind bending thing to think about. It it is. I, I, what's going through my mind as well is it'd be really great to have a kind of second opinion on it. Or was there anything in the book where he's roped in any other scientist to? support it or is it is it does it feel like a one-man mission to you if you see what i mean it's no it feels like um it's 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 one man's um it's one man's story yeah yeah wow that's it's a lot to get your head around as we've said before on the podcast but that one especially i think the fact that his background, you know, you've got NASA. He's an expert, you know, in this type of field. So he he would know what he was looking at. The photos, yeah. I see. I, I'm I'm normally really skeptical of these things, you know, like moon bases on the moon and all those photos. I, I almost instantly dismiss them. But there's something about his credibility, and like you said, the way that he seems to have presented it in a very factual, not going too crazy on his hypothesis, just kind of laying it out there and what he's found gives it a certain credibility to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, I guess the counter would, you know, the only counter I can think of here is somebody might say, well, yeah, no, he's a genius who's just gone a bit kind of crazy and is just, you know, you know, paradoiling seeing stuff that's not there in the you know seeing patterns that are not there in the rings and the only thing that makes me and again I'm no scientist and I haven't read the book so uh you can tell me if I'm being a little bit unfair the only bit that kind of when I went okay the moon thing the patterns on the moon it's like that seems to be that seemed like a bit of a stretch to come to that conclusion, but I don't know if you felt that when you read it. Well, I wondered, I must say, I wondered why he'd done it. I think what he was trying to do was apply what he believes is his knowledge of these craft in the rings to see whether they had done any more sort of engineering around the rest of the yeah. the galaxy or at least the solar system. I mean, I think what he's basing those lunar markings on is simply his projected size of these yeah. craft. And I guess the assumption that there's something not quite natural about them yeah. to him. Yeah, but I don't think there's... Although it might, we might not know how so exactly what caused some of those markings on the moon i believe that it's quite well known how they happen so you know there are many theories of which seem you know incredibly credible you know hits from meteorites and space debris all that sort of stuff yeah um what he seems to be suggesting is it's the equivalent of some um poor backing up technique as this craft turns around, it's the equivalent of like knocking your bumper. A bad driver. Right, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Like it does seem a bit odd that you would reverse 
a huge spacecraft up, you know, till it's touching the moon and then blast off, leaving a crater. Unless to me, to me, keep coming, keep coming, keep going. Whoa, whoa. It's a very peculiar thing that you would do, but maybe that's why they drove off. They drove off that we're going to have to hide in Saturn. Hope nobody saw that (laughs) (laughs) for the insurance. But there's, he doesn't, what's interesting is he doesn't sort of come up with any crazy theories. What he's sort of saying is that's how I think these marks might've happened when I look at these craft and, and he has built, like, as I say, he's built a model of these craft and he built a model of the moon. It wouldn't be where I would go to. I would probably be like, I suppose it was a bit of a red flag to me when you said it in my mind. And that's unfair of me to say, because I've not read the detail of it. But I was going, wow, I'm with you. I'm with, I, the moon thing feels a bit weird. Yeah. Maybe it's because it's the moon as well, and there's so many bonkers theories about the moon anyway that it almost it starts to cloud it. And then I started thinking, well, maybe some editor has said we need a bit more, but Jesus, you've got massive alien spacecraft in the, in the rings of Saturn. It didn't need any uh, extra spicing up that book, did it? No, no, and, and that's why I don't think... Um, I don't think he was gilding the lily. I think he was just yeah. like, this is where this is where I go to when you know when I'm looking at the moon. This is my particular interpretation of how those things happen. What he doesn't do is really speculate on like any intention. So as I said there, I sort of read out what he thinks about the potential builders of these craft and the potential inhabitants of these craft. Yeah, he doesn't make any assertion that they're coming to earth or yeah, that we're their experiment there's yeah. no sort of crazy thing like that yeah he, it is basically if you read the book the reason it is so heavy going is that he takes each he takes a lot of frames of images and uh labels them and then goes through in great detail why he's making the conclusions that he's making yeah and and then shows you further picture evidence to back it up and so the whole thing is his argument of you see this anomaly in this ring this is what it's caused by here you can see the part of the craft here you can see what they're doing here and the reason he spends so long at the top of the book talking about how people were making different observations about the rings is he's making the point that they change depending upon where these spacecraft are um, and what it is that they are doing and the position that they are uh, that they're in that they're moving effectively and creating it's almost like a like a wake on a boat yeah that's right but also like they're sort of like it's almost like they're in orbit around saturn and they're so enormous that you could like I mean, they're bigger than any sci-fi space station, aren't they? I mean, yeah. 50,000 miles long. Well, across America, basically. Oh, well, I mean, and the rest. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a floating, it's a cylindrical planet, basically. <laughs> yeah. um, and it and, does and make is he f- saying that all of the rings have been created by this or... Well, yes. Because you were talking about the different zones. Yeah, he thinks they are all created, yes. And I guess the other thing that's running through my mind with 
it it would suggest that because there are other planets out there with rings around them, right? Am I right in thinking that? So this is not Saturn's not as far as we know. Saturn's not unique in the universe. I'm just thinking would would the implication be that any other planet that has rings like Saturn is going through the same kind of process? Um. So it's interesting that you say that he doesn't he doesn't talk about any other planet apart from saturn it is true like you get jupiter they that has rings um uranus has rings but they aren't as um they're not the same as saturn's rings they aren't they haven't got that complete density and they haven't got that um that sort of uh the disagreements in observation i think is probably why we haven't heard about that um up until uh 1979 we didn't even know jupiter had rings they're not observable they were um it was actually voyager one that discovered the rings on there yeah um saturn's rings however you know we've known since the early 1600s that it had rings because they are so visible yeah god it's making me think we said on the other week that We'd always wanted to see a an alien, and maybe we've kind of eaten one in an octopus. <laughs> now I'm thinking, yeah. when I had my lovely moment of seeing Saturn through a telescope and being blown away, I could have been also looking at a alien spaceship at the same time, hiding there. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose the way that you could think of it is, if other planets have rings, then a great way of disguising yourself is just to make a bigger ring and hide in it. Yeah. Because it's not going to cause anybody, you know, it's not going to make you stand out. It, I'm just trying I, to think what they're doing. I, I, my lawnmower is the best I can get. I try, my head is like, well, if you're going to observe us, you probably wouldn't do it that way, would you? you just kind of, is it some kind of mining kind of, God, what was it all about? Is it a, a some sort of motorway service station? Oh, that'd be brilliant. Love that. The, Love that. They're all base, basically these huge ships are like one giant Tesla. They're, yeah. They're plugged into Saturn. <laughs> That's why they haven't gone anywhere. They've still got another 3,000 years before they can leave <laughs> and it's fully charged. Get a full charge, <laughs> yeah. It's also making me think of... Um, there's this crazy song on a Stevie Wonder album, Songs on the Key of Life, called Saturn. And it were, I think it was written by, uh, I'm pretty sure the guy was his guitarist. It was one of the guys in the band called Michael Sembello. And uh, he went to Stevie Wonder and said, I've written this song about people who live on Saturn who come and visit Earth. And... Steve said, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And they ended up putting it on the album. It is the most hippie, bonkers song you have ever heard. So if you have a chance, go and have a listen to it. And it always makes me laugh because the lyrics are so hippie crazy in places. I think it's something like, I'm going back to Saturn where, you know, the air is clean. When when you think of this gas giant, it seems a little bit ironic. And it always makes me giggle, even though I do quite like it. Now I'm thinking it's a bloody documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it could be. It could be uh, if he's referring to 
giant spacecraft on the outside of Saturn, then maybe. He does talk but, about rainbow beams at some point, so it could be. Maybe he's referring to the vapour out the back of the thing. <laughs> well, maybe you should... Uh, it's a shame copyright law that we can't include it as yeah, the Yeah, but if you've got Spotify, go and have a listen. Stevie Wonder, Saturn, off songs from the key of life. All that I can suggest is um, we can put a link because it's fine it's uh to download it we can put a link so you can go and read the book for yourself yeah and can you see the pictures there as yeah well? you can I'm, see all the pictures are in there probably don't want to stick those up we normally do a photo album but we probably don't want to do no that no they might just get a bit funny about that re- read them in the context of the book yeah and then just the thing that kept occurring to me is like there's going to be a lot of stuff in the next week two weeks month when the Pentagon report comes out yeah. about what we do and don't know about UFOs. And that's really, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, kind of more mainstream press seem to be yes. ramping up for that. A- absolutely they do. And, you know, because I think, I don't know what they're expecting. I imagine they've had little snippets of stuff. But if the conclusion is what seems likely is what they're going to say is it's something but we don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, which I I think they're going to have to be quite careful about saying that because if you say, I don't know what it is, and that is open to interpretation. So if you say, and I've said this before, if you say, we don't know what it is full stop, then people go, what? what? So you don't know what Russia's up to. You don't know yeah, what China's yeah. up to. Yeah. If you say, we don't know what it is, but we know it's not Russia or China, then you have basically admitted that it's UFOs. Yeah. It, well, sorry, yeah. it's extraterrestrial. Yeah, because you're right. You don't want to say we we don't know what it is and we haven't got one. <laughs> yeah, <you>? that's <laughs> right, yeah. And and if you say we don't know what it is, so one clever thing they could say is we don't know what it is, full stop, and then you get members of Congress and the Senate saying... Could it be Russia and China? Even if you, as a security expert yep. at the Pentagon, know that it isn't, that might be a way to get money to do further research. Because, But I think it's a te- terribly dangerous thing to admit to the public because what you're then doing is saying, right, well, um, your, your President Biden, forgot his name there for a minute, he's going to like be having a, a, a meeting with, or oh, he's had that meeting, he's had that meeting with Putin, Putin yeah. And what you're then saying is that president there, when he meets President Putin, it's possible that President Putin has way better hardware than all of the tech in America, despite having the income of a second-rate European country and America spending untold billions on hardware, they still can't keep up. And I think the public would be rightfully angry if they thought that that was the case. But sorry, the other thing I wanted to say on that, and again, I'm not making some big conspiracy theory leap, but I thought it was interesting the uh, the action that went on between the British ship and Russian military and annexed mm. Crimea. Mm. You know, because it was almost as the story unfolded this week. It, you know, it seems like it was a deliberate act from Britain to kind of assert some authority and then a bit of react it's interesting that posturing is all going on at the same time i'm not saying that might be a complete coincidence but there seems to be a lot of that stuff happening yes yeah yeah totally there is kind i mean false flaggy like we were talking right, about the other yeah. week 
Yeah. And uh, whether it's to throw up something else to talk about yeah. other than this, I could see that it might be, you know, yeah. it, it's, it'd be much better if you're going to release news of aliens, um, keep that on the down low and let's, you know, conspire with Russia to have a little argument yeah, yeah. that will take everyone's minds off it a bit. Yeah, yeah. But what I will say, the thing that struck me about this book and then everything that people are talking about, so if you um, listen to Lou Alessandro um, and all of the sort of the noise coming out of that part of the world, they're talking about USOs as well as UFOs, so the submerged craft right. that are, yep. you know, being observed... Uh, some of the craft that we have seen on the forward-looking infrareds that fly along the surface of the sea, then without a splash, disappear yeah. under it. You've well, there's got to the think- big, there's the big um, uh, on the ocean surface. Was it Norway or something like that? There's that big one, isn't there? Where there's a big artificial trench mm. that had been made on the 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 seabed, which couldn't have been done by anything that we know of. Right, right. So. It feels like to hide in plain sight from us humans, you go under the sea and you stay in the rings of Saturn. And there's no way that we could spot them apart from, you know. Somebody going through the face. And that's coming back to me of just, you know, it's you think somebody at NASA would pour over every image, but there's so much data that doesn't even mean there's a conspiracy. It's just could have been missed, right? And I also think if if NASA came out and said there's a thousand mile long spacecraft or fifty thousand mile long spacecraft in uh, Saturn, they'd lose all their funding immediately. Yeah. So even if they know it's there, it isn't in their interest to say it is. Wow. And so, yeah, it. Like, so I'm going to put you on the spot, Ben. Hmm. You read the book, you read it cover to cover. As you said, you really analysed it, went through it. Do you believe him? Um, I believe the arguments that he's making, and I see why he's making them. He makes a sound case. He makes a sound case, but I don't know enough to be able to have another point of view. Yeah. So I have to say, well, what you say... Makes sense. It does make sense from the images you're showing me. Yeah. But I can't say, ah, yeah, but now we know that those things are caused by this. You can't say, oh, plasma drive wouldn't do that. (laughs) No, exactly. Yeah. So... That's a fair, fair point. But even that in itself is quite telling, isn't it? That you, from what you've read, go... You know, that it's well, we, we just the way we're knocking it here. Uh, the skeptical point of view is either we don't know enough, or this guy is kind of slightly mad and has created this bizarre story, and it just so happens he's got a credible background. Mm. That seems to be the only pushback, really, from what mm. he's saying in my mind. Yeah, well, I, I think the only credible pushback would be somebody who could bring alternative evidence and no doubt there will be somebody but who could look at these anomalies that he's pointing out and say well where you think that you can see electromagnetic drives and you can see the nose cone of a spacecraft 
what you're actually looking at is this other thing. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what this other thing could be. Yeah, yeah. And I also don't understand the mechanics of how those rings... I it To me, in my the basic knowledge, but this is school GCSE knowledge, is that they're rings of ice and rock that are held in place by gravity. That's yeah. what I thought they were. But so... I can't explain why the observation about them changes or they have different size gaps or anything like that. But somebody more learned than me probably could. So it's one of those things where he, there's no point him presenting another side to the argument because what he's saying is these are spacecraft and I'm a hundred percent certain about it. Um, he doesn't ever say, well, it could be interpreted as X, but here's the reason why it isn't. He just says, this is what it is. So I need somebody else to be able to say, this is this is what it is, and this is why he's wrong. Well, and- if, if Dr. Brian Cox is listening, get in contact, because, you know, you feel like the man who could sort this out. And the joke we made about D. Ream the other week was done in the best of <laughs> in the best possible taste we're, we're we're a big fan of things can only get better aren't we ben? <laughs> um, so yeah no and if anybody has got uh well we'd love to hear your opinion whether you're a, an expert in this field or not but especially if you're an expert we'd love to know what you think about it and the book and the premise and are we missing something here yeah a hundred percent um and well, look, if they're here, if they really are hiding in the rings of Saturn, they've been doing it for a very long time. So unless they suddenly, their plan was to um, come and invade Earth in July 2021, <laughs> after all these years, then I think we're safe. I, I think it's more likely there's some alien on their home planet turning <laughs> turning to their partner and saying, did you turn the Saturn lawnmower off? Oh, God, no, I left it running. Jesus, it's been going for thousands of years. <laughs> the famous lawns of Saturn. Yeah, exactly. The ice lawns of Saturn. <laughs> hey, that could be a new Stevie Wonder song. <laughs> I like the sound of it. Anyway, we'll leave you with the um, the link to the book. Yeah. Go and have a look. Put aside... <laughs> if I were you, I'd put aside two clear days to go through that yeah. if you really want to read it. And then let us know what you think. See if, uh, see if you agree with him or... And if you can't be asked to do that, just listen to Stevie Wonder's Saturn on Songs from the Key of Life. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, Excellent. I re- that was amazing, Ben. That, you know, I have to say, I do appreciate you ploughing through those books, but what <laughs> a great story that is. That is just amazing. It's one of those, again, that we, we do a few of these. I really hope that he's really hit on something there. Because, you know, like I said, he's got a credible background. And, yeah, it'd blow your mind, wouldn't it? It would. It would. I'm off to mow the lawn. I'm off to um, go and... Help me mow the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll help you mow the lawn. Yeah, okay. That's good. That's you a good don't expect the A-rings. <laughs> right. Leave my rings out of it. <laughs> um Right, well, we'll uh, we'll be back next week with uh, another great episode of The Quantum Mechanics. See you next time. Bye.
you the quantum mechanics.